previously on the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. Because of some research I'm doing for my the book I'm writing, I've got this book, this Osprey book, uh, Landing Ship Tanks, one of the new Vanguard series, and just talks about LSTs. Now, I think a lot of uh, people get LSTs and landing crafts confused. LSTs are the yeah. large, big-ass boat. Right. Because people think, well, LSTs landing ship tank. And so, in their mind, they think, well, that's, you know, the little boats because those look like tanks. No, <laughs> they were the big-ass yeah. ones. Of course, the LVTs, landing vehicle track, also known as amphibious trackers or Amtraks, mm-hmm. if you will. As if things aren't confusing enough, another landing type of craft on the deck of the LST called the LCT. It was LCT-858, landing craft tank. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the LST had like, a, I think, the full combat load of amphibious tractors or LVTs <laughs> for the LST was, I think, 17 LVTs in the hold of the LST. Could you imagine being the 18-year-old and working like in the logistics area typing all this crap up yeah. trying to make sense of it? I had a roommate in college who did LSD <laughs> one time. So <laughs> The What's the Scuttlebutt podcast is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and wherever fine podcasts are found. You can also download the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast as well as all podcasts on the Digital 410 network at d-410.com. Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the Fail to Fail podcast with your host, Don Abernathy. What's going on, everybody? It's another, oh, what night is it? It's a Thursday night, third podcast of the week. Forgive me. Welcome to another episode of the Fail to Fail podcast, the Digital 410 Network's limited series podcast. We want to appreciate, say we appreciate everybody hanging out with us for another episode. Get your little fix of motivation. Maybe we can help you get to where you want to go, whether it's career, fitness, just all around motivation. We're trying to get your life heading in the right direction. But uh, we have a very special guest. We've been kind of on a kick here in the Fail to Fail podcast lately, and that is uh, we've been having a series of OCR racers, long-distance racers, um, and American Ninja Warriors and the like. Um, and joining us tonight is no different. Interestingly enough, I uh, met this young lady at the Rugged Maniac event because of the shirt she had on, but we'll get to that here shortly. Joining us tonight... Miss Alyssa Hartramp. Did I get that right, Alyssa? Yes, you've got it perfect. Hartramp. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, before we get into what we're going to get into, one of the things I like to do, and the nice thing about doing a long-form podcast like this is we don't have to rush through an interview, try to get all the plugs out and everything in 15, 20 minutes. We can do a long-format interview and allow the audience to get to know you and well, allow me, the host, to get to know you as well. So let's go back a little ways. Where did you grow up and... Uh, how did we get to where we're at today? I guess maybe where'd you grow up and uh, what do you do for a living? And then we'll get into the uh, fitness and motivation here momentarily. Sure, absolutely. So I'm from Pennsylvania, uh, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton area. I feel like most people will reference the office for that. <laughs> uh, but a tiny little town called Mountaintop where I grew up. And then about three and a half years ago, I moved to Harrisburg, um, which always surprises people that it is, in fact, the capital of Pennsylvania. That's not Philly. How far from Seven Springs are you? Seven Springs. Is it bad? I don't even know where that is. It's, a, it's like the, <laughs> well, let me rewind. 23 years ago, it was the ski resort in Pennsylvania. I grew up in Ohio. Yeah. And in Ohio, we didn't have any real ski hills. We had hills with man-made snow. And so in high school, in our ski club, once a year, if we really wanted to have fun, we'd go to Seven Springs, Pennsylvania for the weekend and go riding out there because you guys had more hills than we did in the flat state known as Ohio. 
So uh, yeah, so I'm wondering if that's more Western PA since you're probably. in Ohio, because yeah. I'm like South Central. Gotcha. So Pittsburgh for me is probably four hours. Let's go, Pens. Yeah. It's so <laughs> funny. My classmates give me such a hard time because they're like, "Why aren't you a Blue Jackets fan?" I'm like, "Cause I left Ohio 2001. That's the year they came. I've been a Penguins fan <laughs> since middle school. I owe nothing to the Blue Jackets. They weren't around when I was." Right. So I left Columbus in 2001. That's the year they came. So growing up, were you into running? Were you on the track team? Or was this something you acquired late in life? So, yeah, no, I was not a runner. Um, I played basketball. I was like, well, I guess soccer, I guess, was my first sport. But basketball all throughout middle school and high school. And then I uh, took volleyball, actually, the most serious. So I have been volleyball player converted to runner only recently. Um, I gave up volleyball kind of kind of for good. I say I retired back in 2019 after I had a, a knee injury and I haven't gone back. I do miss it, but that was just like, it was such a big part of my life um, back then, but I almost feel like I, I'm kind of just like over that part you, and I just needed something new. Did you play at the collegiate level or were you just playing in high school and then just for fun after high school? Yeah. So I played at the college level as well. Um, I was a setter. Uh, in college and then even after college like we we would travel to play tournaments whether it was you know women's or co-ed um they do a national series as well that you know people from all over the country travel to to just compete against teams from around the country um so we try to do that once a year so it was it was very uh time consuming for me that was like every weekend of my life (laughs) i would imagine playing as you guys tend to do in in gymnasiums and on basketball courts people think well it's the same movement no it's not uh basketball players go down stop you know they'll pick and moves but volleyball you know it's a lot of back and forth back and forth short strokes front and back maybe short long distances i would imagine compared to versus playing outdoor volleyball that you guys would tend to maybe twist an ankle or hyperextend a knee more often than you would in the outdoor environment or am i just making that up so i said i played indoor and outdoor um in Pennsylvania, we obviously don't have a beach, so there's a yeah. lot of grass tournaments where we're from. Um, so, I mean, do you, would I say I rolled my ankle more or less indoor-outdoor? No. Uh, I injured my knee outdoor, and it was just like a freak injury, honestly. Um, but I, I wouldn't say necessarily that injury rates higher. I mean, you have a uh, – the, the whole under-the-net collision still happen, whether you're playing sure. indoor or outdoor. So, and the rules are a little bit different, which I guess can maybe open up that uh, that gate, so to speak for injury, but I only ever seriously injured myself in volleyball once when I tore my shoulder and it was completely preventable, but that's what it is. Full. Was it the rotator cuff or just a full blown shoulder injury? No. So I tore my labrum. Um, so I needed to have surgery on it. And oddly enough, as soon as I gave up volleyball, my shoulders never felt better. So after, after college, you gave up on the volleyball what do you do for a living now? Cause I mean, I know, but for the audience sake, cause I, I like to get people's background so that people can say, okay, well, regardless of what people do for a living, they have interesting hobbies or wow. I never figured someone does that for a living would do this. So what is your daily, your daily gig? So I work, I'm a physician assistant. I work in the emergency departments. Um, I work full time. So I do a lot of swing shifts and I work weekends, holidays, nights, you name it. Um, so that makes training interesting sometimes. Well, that was kind of the point I was hoping we'd get to because I was I was watching an interesting TikTok video today where this gentleman probably had seen his early 60s, huge guy, just brick shit house. He was just going around the gym asking, hey, what do you do? How many hours a week do you work? 
well, not not the gym. How many hours? Oh, 60 hours a week or how many hours a day? 12. His whole point was, you know, people not, people's number one excuse to why they can't work on their fitness or diet or exercises. I don't have enough time. So he just basically just without any real setup, just, hey, here's six people I don't know at random at the gym. They all work 60, 70 hours a week. Yet, And he would say, and yet you're still here. So that it is kind of the hardest part, but you just have to find time. And right. it, it's, it's funny. It's like, well, you always find time for things you want to do. Um, you got to figure out how to find time for the things you don't want to do. <laughs> and that's the hardest part about staying motivated and getting things done. Yeah, Ex- absolutely. Especially as you get older and you have careers and families and this and that. Me myself, um, after 18 years of running my own IT firm um, and making my own schedule, which over the last two years, that schedule got a little less compressed and I had more time to do things because I was working less, but I'm at the end of my third week of my new career. I went from working nine to five, sometimes nine to one, depending on how slow we were during the pandemic. Now I'm working eight to five every day, which means I got to get up early because now I'm no longer my own boss. And I have to find time now to, after all these years of having a schedule now, I'm like, well, now I got to find time to readjust my, my gym schedule. And interestingly enough, I started the Monday after the rugged maniac that was in Tampa. <laughs> and, um, and I was so busy, uh, as I said, in my YouTube video, I was so busy closing down my business. Cause I signed up for the rugged maniac back in, I don't know, January. No, like a week after rugged maniac last year, when they send you the, you know, Hey, sign up for cheap now. Okay. Yeah. So you sign up for 11 months in advance and you forget about it. And so I'm, I'm closing down. I'm getting ready to start my new career, this net. And, and I get an email. Here's your parking pass. Oh yeah. That thing I, I haven't been training for cause I've just been too busy, but I went and did it. Um, it was my first time elite. Um, I did not do as good as I was hoping to just because I didn't train, but I'll get all that, um, back to that in a moment. The reason I bring that up is just this week after third week of starting my new career, my whole new schedule, um, I haven't been to the gym yet, but I have been getting up an hour early before work and been hitting my mixed fitness bike, um, doing all that. And so now I'm slowly getting my morning workout schedule in play. And now I got to start putting my runs back in. Cause I used to run four or five days a week, go to the gym on the off days. And if I didn't run, I'd get on the bike or do the bike before running and all that. And, um, that's one of the hardest things you got to do. But once again, um, People confuse diet. They say it's a diet. No, it's a lifestyle change. Yes. You know, if yeah. you want to do, you know, if you're looking to lose weight, you, you can't go on a diet. You got to do a lifestyle change. If you want to start going to the gym or riding a bike or walking in the neighborhood, whatever it is, you have to kind of force yourself. And the way I used to force myself doing um, IT work every day, because my schedule is made up of a series of jobs. I had to be at this place at this time to do this thing, this place at this time. And so I always considered the going to the gym or running three miles or getting on the bike. That's just one more job I have to complete before my day is through. And I guess the, the secret of that is everybody who has their full-time job and busy schedule, you just kind of have to figure out a way to, whether it's trick yourself, convince yourself, or just realize this isn't an option. I just have to do it and get in that mind state. How does somebody with you with changing schedules, I mean, you work in an ER, you don't have, oh, I work these days every single day of the week, every month. It's every week's different. How do you maintain the ability to keep your training schedule up? Yeah, so I think the the key, this isn't a one size fits all answer. And I have this conversation with a lot of people. 
Um, the biggest thing is consistency and you have to figure out for yourself what's going to make you and your current kind of life consistent. Mm -hmm. So for me, and this ultimately ends up surprising people too, is I don't even go to a gym. Um, I work out in my basement, in my garage. Um, I have basically up to 40 pound dumbbells as far as like strength training stuff. I have a pull-up bar, um, some just kind of basic essentials and I make it work. I do use like the Beachbody um, programs. They've really come a long way over the years where, you know, there's this new trainer who really focuses on training athletes. Um, and I honestly give him a lot of credit for just me developing upper, my upper body strength over the past, you know, three years. Sure. Um, and that I found that that works for me because I don't have to worry about coming home um, from work and worrying about getting to a gym. And like my hours are so all over the place that you have to, I would have to rely on a 24 hour gym if that were the yeah. case. Um, so this has just kind of worked for me. Um, and it's to the point now where I'm so consistent and it's just become such a routine, like in the back of my head that I have to remind myself sometimes to take days off. Um, but yeah, so everyone has to just, like I said, find what works for them. Some people that is the gym. Some people are like me, it's home stuff. Um, you know, you're wearing the Savage Ray shirt there. Savage Anywhere is another program that's come out that a lot of people have been using I, to try to get ready. I did one during um, the pandemic. Yeah. And it, it it's the nice thing about the Savage Anywhere, and I did a Spartan virtual race as well. I'm not a big fan on these virtual races because I not when I say that, I don't mean the Spartan and the Savage. I mean, but there's a lot of these, oh, you send us 20 bucks, we'll send you a medal. And, yeah. a, and a bib and whether you do it or not, you get the medal and a bib. And to me, that's kind of cheating to me. Right. I'd almost wish, okay, you sign up, we send you the bib, you track it. And then once you submit the, you know, your data, then we'll send you the, but whatever, it's fine. People making money. What I loved about the Savage and the Spartan virtual is it was almost a way for them to teach you how to expand your workout regimen. You're like, especially with the Savage anywhere. So it's like, I never done. I've never incorporated thirty burpees into my regular garage gym workouts. Mm -hmm. The um, the one I did had to do. Uh, you had to do the car push. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. I'm a World War II reenactor. My other podcast is a World War II podcast, and I have a YouTube channel. I'm thinking, I don't want to push a car. That's boring. How can I make this more interesting? Well, just so happens, a guy that I know owns a World War II Jeep, so he drove it over. At, over where I go fishing, he had his 30 cal machine gun on it. He sat in it. I set my GoPro at the end of the street and I literally pushed a 1943 World War II Jeep up and down the street until I met the requirements of that Savage Anywhere. And so just doing that sort of thing, mm -hmm. I'll tell you, doing those 14 exercises in those 28 days, it sounds easy. But once again, when you got a full time work schedule, you got kids, this and that, it's like, okay, I really need to do one today, but um, I'll just have to push it till tomorrow and maybe do one and a half and then, but I got it done. And, and I really wanted to keep those, some of those um, different routines and work those into my regular workout. Now for the audience at home, like, well, we don't even know what the hell you're talking about. What does the lesson, lesson need to work on our upper arm strength and our grip strength for? So let's go down that road a little bit. You got done with volleyball. Mm -hmm. How did you get into running? Well, my first, so this is a, a very uh, simple story, I guess. So when I got into grad school, mm -hmm. um, I basically was no longer a college athlete and I was in class 12 hours a day and I basically just kind of lost who I was. And sure. 
I didn't like that because I, I knew like I was always just meant to be an athlete, so to speak. Um, so my roommate and I, shout out to Nicole, but her and I were kind of in the same predicament where we just felt like we kind of lost our edge and we wanted to get it back. Um, so at the time, my friend Billy, who just started getting into running around that time, he had told us like, hey, you guys should like look into this Tough Mudder thing. And we're like, sure. So we made that our end goal. And to train for it, we did the 60 day like insanity program for those who are familiar with Shanti. <laughs> yeah. That was like our training. So we made time every single night despite so our crazy class schedule. You we went did the from, insanity workout. You went from playing volleyball to not doing anything, being kind of, I don't know how far that span of time was since you. It was a short span. Like I wasn't completely out of shape, but in all fairness, insanity was easily the hardest thing at that time I've ever done in my life. As the name implies, it's not called the crazy workout. Now, yeah. but, now let me pause real quick. For me, it was, I, I would I never played high school sports. I skateboard for 18 years. As I said before, I snowboard for 13 years. Um, I, but you I always had a title. I was a skateboarder. I was a snowboarder. You were a volleyball player. You were an athlete. Yes. And yep. then you get that point in your life where you, you lo lose that title. Now you're just a, an adult who works <laughs> as crazy as it sounds to people who maybe never had a title per se, even if it's not an official title to me, that was kind of, it was, it, I didn't realize it until I got into running and how I got in running. I two kidney stones and 60 pounds later after I, <laughs> I, I was always the tallest cat in my class. And I always looked like I had a heroin addiction. Up until I was 21, I weighed a buck 75 and I'm six foot five. So imagine yeah. six foot five, 21 year old at 175 pounds. Yeah. People just assumed he was a drug addict. No, I had a fast metabolism. But as things happen when you get older and you sit around and play Xbox for eight hours a day and you have a computer job sitting on your ass, you, you gain quite a bit of weight. Plus, um, at the time I was working the computer gig plus working in radio four hours a day, did that for six years. So I was getting up at five, working until nine o'clock at night. So I was hammering the monster energy drinks, the Mountain Dews, the five hour energy drink and just destroying my kidneys. And so two kidney stones and 60 pounds later, I said, okay, I'm shopping for a size 38 pant. This is insane. I need a change. And as I said, yeah. a lifestyle change, cut out all the soda, went straight water and Gatorade, did that for a year, start going to the gym. I have an addictive personality. So I'd go, the, I, I got to the point where I was going to the gym twice a day. I was hitting in the morning, hitting it at night. Not realizing that a gym is not a weight loss solution. <laughs> a gym is a bulk up solution. So the weight wasn't falling off as quick as I would want it to, but the, the arms and those areas were starting to show some changes. So I was happy with that, but I blew out my elbow mm. and now I was like, well, shit, what am I going to do to keep from gaining this weight back? And at that time I would get on the treadmill, suffer through 10 minutes, never even do a 10 minute mile, just suffer through treadmill. I, but finally one day I just ran around my neighborhood and I, and I realized, oh shit, running outside is easier than running on a treadmill because on a treadmill, your body's trying to match whatever speed that the motor on the treadmill is going. And it's either a millimeter too fast or just a little too, I can never find that comfortable pace on a treadmill. Not sure. to mention you're staring at a wall or TV. <laughs> and I have discovered through running that running is 60% the view. So if you're tired of running, change your location and you'll, you'll get enthused with running again. And so I started running so much that I was going to the, I went from going to the gym twice a day, five days a week to going once a week, but I was running four or five days a week. And then all the weight just started dropping off. I was like, oh, that's how this works. Cardio, yeah. cardio is the way to go. But as I got older, 
I'm 43 now, as you get older, you start getting slower. But what I discovered and what a lot of cats discover, which is why you see a lot of older people running long distances, you may not run faster, but you can work on your stamina and work on your distance. And so before I know it, I'm running 12 miles, 14 miles and all that. And uh, so, but yeah, the running thing, it was really weird to get into. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and I remember the first time I did my 5k, First time I ran with a large group, I'd run with, you know, five or six people here and there. First time I ran with a large group, that pack instinct that you didn't know you had kicks in. And like your body's automatically, okay, I know I can run faster than this person. I can't run faster than that person. I could probably hang with this person. So you almost find your natural place in that large pack at the beginning of the race until people finally break off, which I always find is interesting. But uh, you and your friends, basically, uh, you started training for a, a tough mutter. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, did the whole insanity thing and my first Tough Mudder experience, like it was eye opening. Um, it was definitely at that time for me, like just very difficult. It was very humbling Mm -hmm. in a way. Um, but I loved it. Like I loved the race atmosphere. I loved that complete strangers on the course were, you know, cheering you on. Like there's just something different. I think about the racing community in general and that, that goes for any racing. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's OCR or marathon, you know, or running with five people downtown on a Sunday and you run past yeah. other runners and they all give you the thumbs up and that knowing nod. Yeah. It's just, it's just different. Um, now so, from what I understand, isn't tough mutter more of a group race where it's like you're almost need one or two other people with you versus a savage or a Spartan where you can get through all the obstacles on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Tough Mudder is definitely aimed at that kind of teamwork approach for sure. Um, at the time we ran with like, I think there were six of us. So, yeah. And so you finished your Tough Mudder. Now, were you like most people, the first, whether it's a 5k, 10k, uh, OCR, were you finding yourself signing up for another one the very next day? Or did you like, wow, that sucked and um, I'm out of shape? No, like, so, it, like I said, it was very humbling, mm-hmm. um, but I like loved it. And that like opened my eyes. That year, though, is when I first discovered Savage and I signed up for my first Savage race. And to be honest, like we, I would run probably one, maybe two OCRs a year because even post-grad school, like I was still actively playing volleyball. Um, that was still like my number one. Really, like I said, up until about 2019 when I hurt my knee. And that was really, and so I would do like one or two, usually Savage Race in Pennsylvania. Like that was our go-to um, every year just to kind of switch it up. I never knew they got that far north. I always thought they're yeah. kind of a southeast because I knew they yeah. do Georgia and Ohio, but I never knew they did Pennsylvania. Yeah, they do PA. Um, they have two Maryland events. Maryland's actually two weeks from now. Um, so I guess that's still pretty north. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of our, like once a year we would do a Savage, maybe throw in a Tough Mudder warrior dash when that was a thing back in the day i did one spartan back in 2015 and that was easily the worst day of my life and that was actually probably the most humbling day because it was at palmerton (laughs) oh wow did you ever do bone frog when it was a thing no and i actually looked into it this year um because i think it's like their last year or whatever and just none of the dates worked out with my work and race schedule because i always wanted to try one but did you see on youtube about three years ago when Spartan teamed up with, I think ESPN. Yeah. And yeah. they did that one season. It was fantastic. It was exciting to watch. They had the money behind them. They had the film crews behind them. Mm-hmm. And obviously they had the Spartan games this year, which was fun. And the ones to last year was fun. And Savage has done a really good job with, um, OCR. Um, Oh, who was that? Uh, OCR media. Oh, I can't believe I, 
I went blank on his podcast. But uh, what Savage has been doing with their live stream was great. But the problem is yep. most of those events are out in no man's land. And, <laughs> and when you're trying to live stream through cell phone signal, unless you get a T-Mobile or Verizon to sponsor the event and bring out signal boosting trucks, it's really yep. hard to get that quality, which is why Spartan pre-records all their stuff so that they right. can edit through it. But I bring it up because I think if whether it's Spartan or Savage, if one of them were to team up with an ESPN again and get that on the major network, I think the OCR would grow. I mean, it's pretty big now, but I think as far as general knowledge, I think that TV exposure, because it's so damn, it's so more exciting to watch than just a regular race because a regular race is okay. The first four people, they're the fastest on the field. Unless one of them trips and, you know, trips over something or throws an ankle. One of those three people are going to win. But in an OCR race, you never know because some might, person might be running five-minute miles, but they don't have the obstacle proficiency. Someone who runs slower but has better obstacle proficiency or someone slips, has in the case of a savage, I mean, Spartan has to go do burpees, and all of a sudden they've been in the lead the entire race, and now they're in third place. And so you never know, unless Lindsey Webster or Ryan Atkins is involved, who's going to win. <laughs> and so I, I know I just think it's so much – I think it's an exciting – spectator event when it's done right that i think if they were to team up with another espn or the like and maybe put one up on a weekend on nbc or something it, the sport in itself would get so much more attention i think more people would enjoy it yeah i agree and i think that's why i like lean toward even savage race because of their mandatory obstacle completion like mm -hmm. you just don't know and every rig is different mm -hmm. it's like always a surprise lee always has something up his sleeve so i think that really just makes it really interesting and it, it can change the podium for sure and it seems like the last two years they've really got excited about the mystery hard rig it's like yes, when i did in 2019 really cheese board yes <laughs> Because I did my first one in 2019, and it was hard, but they didn't have the secret. And I've never done an elite event um, at Savage. I always do open waves because I haven't gotten to the 100% completion yet. With yeah. my open waves, you know, I'm 43. You know, I don't have the grip strength. I That's why I go to the gym. I actually changed from Planet Fitness. for. I've been going to Planet Fitness forever and a year. But I just switched to Crunch Fitness because my Crunch Fitness has a 40-rung monkey bar. And yep. so now I have a place to work on my grip strength. Yep. I'm friends with Morgan Moose Wright from American Ninja Warrior. He has a ninja rig out behind his house that I'd go to every once in a while work out on it. But um, just the ability to be able to go to the gym and they have more CrossFit style area in their corner. And so instead of just doing weights and all that, I can go do squats and throw the 20 pound kettlebell at the, at the um, rig. I can do farmer's carries. I can do the monkey bars and do more OCR grip strength oriented stuff because that's what I have to work on. I got to work on my forearm strength, my grip strength. And, and uh, we'll get to here in a minute. I want to talk about this year's rugged maniac in Tampa because the first one I did was last year. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty easy. I, rugged maniac last year was the first OCR I've done where I had hundred percent completion on obstacles. First time through this year, they put so many barn doors before the first one that by the time you got to a first, you know, monkey bar based, grip strength based obstacle you were so cashed out from doing all the the barn doors leading up to it that it, it did make it harder and i did not have 100 percent completion on first time through this year so which was a good thing i like the fact that they're making it a little more difficult and mm -hmm. it was fun but um we'll transition out here again i know we're all over the place but that's just the way i operate so you did your rugged your tough mutter mm -hmm. and you said wow that's humbling but this is fun what was your second race 
Uh, Savage Race, it would have been. Yep. Oh, that's right. The one in Pennsylvania. And then at that point, you just, you were all in? Well, like I said, it, it took a while. That was back in 2013. And it took me oh, to damn. about the end of 2019 to really start taking OCR seriously. And I think my confidence boost was like, so even as a volleyball player, I never had upper body strength, unfortunately. Um, I just never knew how to like train that, especially as a female. I think it's just harder for us to acquire. Sure. I always had leg strength from like just the plyometric aspect of volleyball mm -hmm. and that type of stuff. Um, and like, I really focused in and it took, it took like a solid year and a half to kind of get where I wanted to be. And, um, I think Sam Abbott would like to hear this. Cause I know he got, I think, he, I don't know. I think he finally got sawtooth after like seven or eight years of hosting his own race. And I could totally understand that. Cause it took me seven years to get sawtooth. And I literally could have cried because I just never got it before. And that's like, that was my realization moment of like, I could do this if I just continued to train specifically for this. And then each race just got better and better. I didn't do the, um, early event this year i did two of them last year did both the savages florida the second race last year was the furthest i made it on sawtooth which would have been my third race no uh, no my fourth race i've done four savages and what i had discovered i started doing research one of the first things i had to research is why is my hands cramping up and why am i getting <laughs> um leg cramps and i found oh that's called um lactic acid buildup and here's what you need to do to prevent that and so i started doing those steps and i don't get the cramps anymore because i do the things that prevent lactic acid buildup but um being six foot five 218 pounds on a good day if i'm not eating like an asshole see it's so crazy i have the motivation that i can go out and run three miles a day four or five days a week go to the gym but i don't have the motivation not to eat like an asshole all the time so that's if i could maintain whether it's an nsng diet or a semi-keto diet i would probably walk around at 212 all day long which would be too skinny but because my, i eat like an asshole from time to time um 218 215 is the best i can get at six foot five but um i don't have the best arm strength but i was looking on youtube and someone made the suggestion and perhaps someone who's listening has never tried this and give it a shot and i did this at the last two that i did and i made it past the transition last year i okay. actually made it to the downslope which is the farthest I ever made it but the secret i learned quote unquote if you're not good at monkey bars or pull-ups go backwards so by going up the rung backwards you're using a different it's it's no it's less of a pull-up versus a it's just the muscles are different i don't know the science behind it but i've done it and prior to me doing it backwards twice I couldn't even make it up three quarters. I could barely make it to the transition without just dying, but going up right. backwards. And then when you make that transition, you go uh, long wise in your wingspan and then rotate and go down forward. Just that simple motion of using your arms backward. It made it so much easier for me. Yeah. And a lot of people do, they, they have that kind of backward style. Um, I mean, some of the long lanky guys like a VJ, like they'll, mm -hmm. they'll just span like four of them and they'll do, you know, almost like a bicep, yeah. I so grip through it, especially if it's wet. So I, I mean, I think with anything, especially with grip stuff, I don't think I really appreciated how dedicated grip training has to be for mm -hmm. this specific sport. Um, and unless you're kind of doing that specific obstacle over and over and over again to kind of teach those muscles how to do that, like you're just, it's just going to be really difficult on race day. Um, so I, that has been a huge part of my training. Like I'll take days where I basically just focus on, I call them like mock runs where the loop in my neighborhood is just shy of a half mile. So I'll, I'll do a loop, come back and do, 
I have, I'm fortunate to have a, a kind of a rig set up in my garage where I have monkey bars and kind of the attachments that I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but just to be able to do those kind of as practice, um, it, that's, that's, that was the game changer for me. And like, you know, working kind of the actual grip strength on the side, but I've also learned there's a difference between grip strength and grip endurance. Yes. And when you're doing something like a savage race. I mean, that's all endurance. I don't care how strong your grip is. Mm. It has to last. Well, the other thing that I'm trying to get to is when you watch these pros run the Ryan Atkinses and the Lindsay Webster's and the, you know, the Ryan Kent's and Woodsy and all them, when they do their monkey bar esque style crossing, one, they're doing it fast, but two, their arms never go straight. It's almost like they're doing curls. They keep it in that, you know, L shape. It's like they're going across almost as if they're doing curls above their head. Whereas right. most people, you let your arms go long and then you're just, you're wasting energy and you're slowing yourself down. So I really, I'm trying to get to the point where I can keep my arm strength straight. But perfect transition time because you said race and ready. And, um, <laughs> How I kind of stumbled across you, we it was at the end of Rugged Maniac, and you were standing there, and you had a um, race-ready obstacle shirt on. Yeah. Kind of like the one you're wearing now. It looks similar to this. And I said, hey, uh, you know, I, I host a podcast, and I actually interviewed Aaron a few months back. I follow him on Instagram because, kind of like you were saying, it's all about proper training, and I'm and I'm sure anybody who's done more than one or two obstacle course races, like how can I set something up in my garage? Mm -hmm. How can I work on that? goddamn anchors away. That thing just, <laughs> that is my nemesis. I just, I watch the videos. I just can't get the technique down. It just, the math doesn't work in my head. And I'm that guy. I'm that guy standing there. Do I put on the front, the back? <laughs> I, I, I can't do anchors away. And so I started Googling and, and lo and behold, there's this company called race ready obstacles or race ready obstacles.com ran by this great guy named Aaron Sabia. who was a welder in his past. As you guys learned from a uh, good old episode 17, who was an OCR and figured, Hey, I can make this stuff at home so I can train. And one thing led to another and he has a business and he makes fit. He's not just tack welding crap together in his garage and spray painting it purple. This stuff's powder coated. It's, it's coated the same way a high end my parrot cages have this, I mean, he's doing top-notch quality stuff. Right. And you were saying you have equipment in your, your garage. And the fact that you are a race-ready obstacle ambassador leads me to believe that you have his gear. And that's one of the ways you, because you said, you know, you work out at home. Otherwise, you'd have to find a 24-hour gym. How did you get set up with Aaron and uh, race-ready obstacles? So um, just to kind of, my disclaimer on it, I don't ambassador for anything I don't believe in. I know there's sure. like a lot of this kind of stuff on the internet now, people just trying to get publicity with ambassadorships and sponsorships, whatever. I only promote what I believe in. And I don't honestly, God, remember how I came across uh, Aaron and Dana and Race Ready Obstacles. But it's funny that you mentioned Anchors Away because that is the first thing I bought from them. Because mm -hmm. I was in Maryland and I got to that obstacle. It was brand new at the time. And I was like, I don't even know where to begin on this. It's it's, it's literally a physical puzzle. Because yeah. for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, um, the easiest way to describe it is it's kind of ropes with a steel pole. If you think of an old, um, coal, old gold miner's pickaxe, think of that hanging upside down where you have um, 
the one part of the pickaxe facing towards you and one towards away, or almost like an anchor, as the name implies, and then you have rings. And your job is to swing from one pickaxe or anchor to the next through like six or seven of them. And it's up to you. Do you put the ring on the front part of the uh, anchor or the back part? How do you, it's, it's physical, it's grip strength, it's chest muscles, and it's a puzzle. How do you get the momentum down? Do you run at it? Do you get on the pole, stop, swing? Do you skip the first one? It's literally a, it's a puzzle. And I've sat there and watched people do it. And I cannot, I can't even transition from the first one to the second one. I can't figure out the math on it. Yeah. So what I've learned with playing with that thing for a while now is it really is all technique. Mm -hmm. Um, and I find the way that I do it does not, does not burn out your grip. It does not burn out your biceps. Um, but when I first bought this, it's kind of a funny story. I set it up in my garage and I was all psyched to try it out. I couldn't even hang Mm -hmm. on like the first ring Mm -hmm. on the anchor. And I remember sitting there and like, I almost cried because like, why did I just buy this? I can't even do this. And then, well, not only did you buy it, you had to figure out how to mount the crap from your ceiling without your drywall falling down. I mean, it's not like you just screw in a eye hook in your drywall and Bob's your uncle. There's, there's some structural ingenuity that has to go into this. Yeah, there is. Uh, I, I had a, uh, one of the physicians I work with, he happens to be extremely handy and he actually built me a set of monkey bars that nice. like, traverses my ceiling. So they were drilled into the ceiling Perfect. and the way that Dana and Aaron kind of ship their products, it comes with the, the straps to hang it. So oh, I got you. I was lucky that it's the hanging process wasn't difficult. Um, but it was just, it, it took me six weeks, but when I really learned like how the technique, uh, really learned the technique in general, like it, it, it's, it's funny how easy it is on race day. And I told them that like, when I went back to Maryland that following spring, it was like a piece of cake. Cause their anchors, I will say are a little bit more difficult than race day That's anchors. A- they're just, they're bigger. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really a technique thing, but it's something that you can't practice anywhere unless you have the anchors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a game changer for me is all of their different grips. Cause it's just stuff that you're not going to work or you're not going to really see anywhere else unless you go to a specific Ninja warrior gym that has that type of stuff, which those are few and far between. Like I said, yep. I live in Southwest Florida and I actually have to go to a Ninja warrior's house and <laughs> use his gym out back, which he's, which I haven't been there in a while, which he's more than willing to allow me and other people who want to come train there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a technique. Cause like on his rig, he has monkey bars that go up. No, he has stairs that go up and then down. And so on the side of the stringers, he has, um, eye rings. Like I was joking around about putting your, in your ceiling, but they're hanging off the side and he has rings. And so you kind of go from one to the other, but instead of hooks, they're just little, three inch eye rings, which are easy to slip off of. And so I would go over there and work on my strength that way. But it makes all the difference in the world. If you have the ability to just come home and go to your garage, your basement, your backyard, whatever your geographical position allows you to do, to be able to work out on this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and even if you have like a playground close to your house, the night part, the nice part about their grips is you could take them with you and they just attach to any, mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. Uh, you could just attach them to the play playground monkey bars. So you don't even need kind of that nice home setup. You just need something within a short drive. You know what I mean? So how long after you bought and trained? Well, let me ask you this first. So you bought your anchors away. What was the next setup you got? Uh, the Savage Grip Package. So that has like the twirly beards in it. The, the, bur- the dead birds and all that stuff. Grip. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, for those of you not familiar, it's different types of rope and different 
stages of disarray. <laughs> some of them are like a mop. <laughs> um, some of them are, you know, different links. Some have not, some don't. Um, Savage is known for having like silky sheets hanging at the end of a rig that you got to get to at soaking water and, and muddy. When you started training on these, obviously you said anchors away was easy when you went back to your first race, but did you see an overall time change and obstacle proficiency after doing all that training on your first real race after you built your little rig at home? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, it, like I said, it's been the biggest game changer for me, um, just to be able to work kind of that dedicated, not only, not only grip, but just like that obstacle efficiency. Yeah. Um, that's so important. It's, you know, obviously a time saver, but you don't want to burn yourself out just trying to muscle through anchors away. Whereas you could, if you could find a more efficient way to do it, mm -hmm. you're saving time and you're saving energy for, you know, the rig. <laughs> and your body's used to it. So your heart rate's lower. Um, right. I, like I said, I was out of training, um, between business and all the fishing I've been doing lately. Like I, during that, as short as that rugged maniac was, it's a little over three, over two miles. And the fact that I've ran four savage races, the, the full races, I've never done a blitz. I literally had, I was watching my Garmin like, I'm at the stop of, I'm at zone, I'm like creeping into zone four. What the hell? I literally had to slow myself down because I had fallen off my workout regimen so bad. I was like, what, like when I was editing YouTube videos, I took out all the running because it's just me panting and dying. It's just like, yeah. it's like, whoa. But um, that's a huge thing. Don't, perfect example. You played volleyball and, and then you ran before you got into OCR and you work in emergency room, so you know better than anybody else. People who run a lot or do a lot of cardio, their resting heart rate on a normal day is so much lower than their normal everyday counterpart who doesn't do it. Exactly. And so when you're going home and doing this sort of stuff in your, your garage and your body's used to it, when you're out in the field, your heart rate's lower than it would be if you didn't do that training. And so that helps your stamina, that helps your breathing, it helps your overall feeling of not dying, which allows you to run quicker. And it's just... All around, it helps. Yeah. I tell people all the time, the hardest part, and actually probably why I respect OCR so much as a sport, is it really is like the whole picture. Mm -hmm. Like you have to have, you have to be a good runner. You have to have good endurance and good stamina from a cardiovascular standpoint. But you also still have to maintain that strength. And it's such a, you know, technique driven sport too like there's just nothing like it where you have to be kind of be this all-around good athlete in multiple different specialties within one sport and one of the things i thought about a while back and especially i, was, I saw another tiktok where it was spartan comparing their their a-frame net to the one at tough mutter which looked like it was six stories tall did you see that video i think was i'm like how yeah. are people not dying on it i think looks but i got to thinking and this would definitely apply to cats who do American Ninja Warrior. When you're out there, you're in the mind state of, oh, I'm in a race. And you don't consider the potential harm or the height. Remember back in the days when you jumped off Davy Jones' locker? Now that's been kind of taken away. Yeah. There are certain things there that I'm sure that if you weren't at a race, going OCR, you're just, I don't know, at a mud park in the middle of Pennsylvania somewhere where you might think twice about jumping off that. 20 30 foot tall thing but in right. the middle of a race you're in race day mode you don't yeah. think about the oh i could fall off this thing and hurt or wow look how high up i am no you're just got to get past this right and i think one of the things about my job that 
I, I can imagine it makes me very paranoid about all the things that mm-hmm. can go wrong. So that sometimes is a mental block for me. Like when they brought the Lachey into Savage Race Rig, that was such a mental mind game for me because I'm like, this can go wrong and this can go wrong. And I can, you know, tear my ACL here. I could hit my face on the bar here. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately that's the one downside about my job. Like I don't have that, um, that mentality, almost like when we're younger where we can't be injured or can't be hurt because we're invincible. Yep. So. And that's a real thing. I was talking on my world war two podcast the other night during world war two, when they were recruiting fighter pilots, they intentionally looked for cats between the ages of 18 to 20, because most 18, 20 year olds weren't married. They all had that I'm invincible. Whereas once they got married and had kids, now they had something to live for. So they took second guesses. They they weren't on instinct flying. So they tried to intentionally find young cats who were single and just had that I'm invincible. So they just move with instinct and try to get the job done versus the way we all are now. I cannot do that lache because one, I'm six foot five. The low rigs kill me, especially when it yeah. comes to monkey bar stuff. It's one thing to do a monkey bar, but when you got to do it where you got to bend your knees almost to the point where your feet are touching your ass, it makes it so much harder. It throws off your balance. It throws off the rhythm, the transition speed, everything. And so that's the ones who kill me are the super low rigs. Right. Yeah. And last year, Savage, the um, the plastic tubes. Holy roller. Yep. The uh, culverts, the teeter-totter ones, right? Not the holy oh, roller. The- yeah, that's yeah, yep. I, well, one, the first one I went into, I was too skinny. I had to find one that was wider. But you're looking at the outside, you're like, okay, there, if there's ribs on the outside, clearly there's ribs on. No, it's completely smooth. And so you're like, you're literally pushing out with yeah. your body, trying. And I'm like, okay, when's this thing going to tip? And it finally did. But um, so at what point did you kind of get hooked up with Aaron and start representing them? Um. So. I had been posting like a, a, a content, uh, just pre-ambassadorship. Like I wanted people to see what, um, you know, this company basically had to offer. And I know a lot of people get frustrated with some of these obstacles and mm-hmm. we don't know how to train them. So I was just kind of promoting on my own time for them, uh, incidentally. And they reached out. Um, they basically wanted to start this ambassadorship and they wanted to start small. So from the female side, uh, myself, uh, Jess and Carrie, they basically reached out to the three of us. And sure. what, what I pr- appreciated about them is like, you know, we're your kind of everyday people that do this kind of as a hobby, not mm-hmm. necessarily as like a, a career, like we're not pros. Like we're just like, we have, you know, this is, this is a hobby for us. This is what we enjoy. Um, you know, we're not Lindsay Webster, we're not Ryan Atkins, but we're still re- like, this is still a passion and we still, uh, you know, do what we can to train on our level, I guess. Which speaking of Lindsay, it's going to be interesting to see where Spartan and Savage goes next year. Cause she's re- quote unquote retiring from doing the Spartan stuff. Yeah. Well, Lindsay so was never said. much in a Savage. She only, yeah. to my knowledge, only ever did like one race. I think she ran one last year, I think, but it wasn't a yeah. Florida one, but, yeah. um, but no, she's not doing this. She's quote unquote giving up. I'm sure she'll do them occasionally, but I, I, apparently she has other plans. It'd be interesting to see where she goes. Yeah. But, um, no, I, Aaron is such a good guy. We had such a fun time on that podcast. We we went forever. And I love getting the information out about because I love what he's doing. You know, as far as my training regimen, I got a Lowe's bucket full of gravel that I look like a crazy person from a neighbor lugging his 
70 pound bucket up and down the street while wearing a 20 pound weighted vest and and running with a 40 pound sandbag over my shoulder because i live in florida and i live through 16 days of no electric and no water and so i had sandbags empty sandbags that the we got for flood control so i literally went across street dug it filled those up for sand and so i'll carry those around the neighborhood i'll go run a half a mile come and drag the bucket for a quarter mile run a half a mile do the sandbag i got a pull-up bar which i still can't do pull-ups and then we have a nice running trail, but once again, the, all the pull-up bars are super low. Right. And so I try to do them, but anyhow. So that's as far as my training regiment goes. Um, being in Florida, I don't have a basement. I, I could try to do something in my garage, but I talked to Aaron about that. I, I need to work on getting that stuff because I didn't do the Savage Race this year because I knew I was. I was like, at this point, I've done it four times. I could go out and do it and have fun, but I'm at this point now, I really want to get to a, at least hundred percent obstacle completion, even if I got to do it 17 times, but I right. just knew that I wasn't, I hadn't worked out. I wasn't in that position or shape. So I was like, I'll, I'll get back into my regiment and I'll sign up for the November race. So, and the other, I have yet to do a Spartan. So I think I might toss that in there too. But, um, as I was saying, congratulations, by the way, on your rugged maniac. Yeah. Thank you. It was definitely came as a surprise for me as well. Um, pretty excited about it though how many of those have you done oh that was my fourth or fifth fifth one maybe and you yeah. and you're part of the rugged maniac mud squad how'd that come to play yeah so that was a new thing they did this year uh they put out basically an open um application on their instagram and stuff um and you just kind of applied and they picked there's nine of us and it, we kind of represent like different portions of the country so i'm like the northeast section um because rugged i mean they go from coast to coast like sure. they're out west in arizona you know they go to jersey down to florida um so they just kind of picked people who you know were passionate about the race uh and just wanted to help us kind of promote their you know their brand and their sport and um so we you know we we chat basically on a weekly uh basis just about different um uh, you know, Instagram type related things. We, we try to get live footage at the, at the race itself. So we went out for a second lap. Um, cause the, one of the other mud squad people was there. His name's Rick and him and I went out for a second lap. We spent like an hour and a half, just like getting video content for sure. them. Cause I think, and you know, I, you can feel free to chime in on this, but I think people who are first starting out in OCR, they're just like, so worried about um, well, it's always the same thing. Like, Oh, I can't run or I, I, I would never be able to do the obstacles. And I think rugged is a really, the reason I like rugged so much is it's a great introductory mm. introductory race for people who might be scared or for people who just want to try it. But then they have that elite section where you just go, you know, balls to the walls, you're going to run and red line for 5k. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can really kind of be whatever you want to be that day. And, you know, I have friends that were so nervous when they first signed up for their first rugged or savage or whatever, and yet they keep coming back every year. So it's almost like they liked it as much as I thought they would. And the nice thing about the rugged maniac is it's got the nice price. If you're, yes. you know, you're, you've never done one, maybe you've never even ran before. And, and I talk to people about this. It surprises me every single time. And there's one particular gentleman and his poor daughter these people sign up for a Savage race. They sign up for a Spartan race on Tough Mudder. Maybe they see an advertisement. Maybe they think, hey, this will be a fun family outing. And I don't know when they signed up. Maybe they signed up eight months ago when the entry fee is $89. And maybe they signed up two weeks before the race when it's $130 a person. My point being is, even if you sign up a year ago and you pay $89 a person, 
that's a mighty investment. You would think people would train for this sort of thing. I'm not saying yeah. go out and die hard like you, you know, you do, but at least walk around the neighborhood, jog around yeah. the neighborhood. It's like yeah. my second or third one. We weren't even a, we hadn't even made it to an, a real obstacle yet. I think maybe it was, and by the way, squeezing under 50 gallon plastic empty uh, barrels is a lot harder than it looks. But anyhow, I think we are maybe a mile into it. And the dad was out there and he had his like eighth grade, maybe freshman daughter. And she was already on his shoulders complaining. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys got a long day ahead of you. I'm like, you're not even a mile into this and you're dying. Didn't you, you signed up for this unless I don't, I've never seen anybody do a giveaway where they're giving away free entries into these things. I'm just thinking the amount of money you invested to be here, you didn't at least jog around your neighborhood so you can make it two miles. I mean, even if they're doing the blitz, it's still three miles and 15 obstacle courses. But every time I'm out there, you always see, you always see the people who, oh, well, I think part of it is too. I think a lot of people sign up who used to be athletic in high school, but then it's been 15 years and in their mind, they, oh, I, I did this. Yeah. I put on 10 pounds. It's more than that. It's the heart rate. And, and even, even when I train, I go out there and I realize I haven't trained enough. I, I've never felt like I've trained enough at the end of the race. I'm happy I did it. I feel accomplished, but there's always part of me. And a lot of this comes from the running aspect too. It's like, if I would have only not slowed down after Colossus and just ran, I would have cut 30 seconds off and I could have beat this dude who beat me that I don't even know. And that was the hardest transition for me being a runner. Uh, Cause I ran a handful of five K's a 10 K before I ever got an OCR. I had to get out of that pace time set mindset. Yeah. I had to say even doing open wave because open wave, you're racing against yourself. But once again, sure. You can run fast. You can fail on an obstacle and, and skip it and run. It's open wave. That's great. But by the time you're doing your third, fourth race, you're like, okay, I need to not worry about my pace and worry about obstacle completion. Cause once again, if you're not completing the obstacle, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice. And so, I have to remind myself out when I'm out there, okay, lower your heart rate, slow down so that when you get to this next obstacle, you might have a better chance of completing it. And that was always the biggest and it still is hardest boundary for me. And my mindset is don't focus on crushing a new, you know, you know, if you got to do 11 minute mile, that's fine, but do the 11 minute mile, 12 minute mile instead of the 10 minute mile. So you can get through all the obstacles. And that's my biggest hurdle. That's what I got to do in my fight against myself. Right. And I think kind of the the ticket to OCR is really um, focusing on how to run a distance, basically temporarily stop to use a totally different body system to get through whatever obstacle it is, and then convert back into a running cadence without totally jacking up your heart rate. Um, And that's the hardest thing. You go into an obstacle exhausted from running Mm -hmm. and then you exhaust yourself on the obstacle and then you have to pick up back running again. And that's, that's like the key to training. I think like, I don't just like do distance runs. Like I'm not a distance runner. Sure. Uh, I do short tempo runs into the garage to do an obstacle and then go back out running. Cause that's essentially what you're doing on race day. And that's a whole different style than just like running for 12 miles at the same pace, the same cadence, the same tempo. And the other thing Savage has been doing, it's like, 
their lumberjack carry keeps getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you saw my Instagram today, but I was I posted a video. I was running around my neighborhood like a crazy person with the the four by six from Savage, perfect replica because I know how they are. Yep. And then I feel the same way. It's like, why is this crazy guy running down the street with a bulletproof vest on, wearing <laughs> carrying a bucket? No, it's a weighted vest. Yep. <laughs> and yes, it's a it's, a, but. Part of being doing OCR and which helps me because I'm a World War II reenactor. My days of worrying about what people think of me are long gone. Yeah, yeah. And so you get over that, you don't care what they think about. Why is this crazy lady running around with a two by four? Why is yep. she throwing a rake handle at a bale of hay with a nail stuck in it? But yeah, those are the things you got to do. But exactly. um, now you have the interesting privilege of living in Pennsylvania, but you ran a race in Florida. How does that transition for you, you know, running a race in New Jersey or Georgia or, you know, you're doing all these different races and all, not only the height, well, you know, people think of the incline and the altitude, but a Pennsylvania race in August versus a Florida race in March or the, the you know, the rugged maniac in April, humidity, obviously the key is run the earliest wave you possibly can, but sometimes <laughs> you're not always that lucky. You get the, you get the 10 o'clock wave. How does the different heat humidity and incline affect what you do yeah so it's it was definitely different i mean pennsylvania we are definitely mountainous and we have very you know technical terrain depending on where you're at um so i really try to incorporate you know that style of running but also just street running so i could work on speed that kind of helped translate into tampa because tampa was flat as, as flat can be but for me the humidity like i got to that I don't know if you remember the section, it was like right at the end, right before the fire jump where it was just like straight run, mm -hmm. nothing in your way. Like just, and that was like kind of a mental block for me. Cause at that point in the race, like I knew I was in the lead and I didn't know how far anybody was behind me, but I was like definitely redlining at that point. Cause the humidity was just like swallowing me, but I had to just like keep going. So I think training on Hills and stuff helps for that because Hills exhaust you so much more. So it almost kind of like translated into the exhaustion from just being, it just being so humid. No, that makes perfect sense. Cause I tell people who, you know, don't live down here running through humidity is almost like, you almost feel like you have a fishnet on you. Yeah. Is, you yeah. literally feel like something's holding you down because your body's not sweating and cooling down the way it should, because you know, the humidity, your sweat's not, leaving your body as quickly you're you're not cool your body's not cooling down as efficiently as it would in a less humid environment and you literally feel like you're being like you said swallowed up or dragged down and so yeah you you did that race in what 20 2717 i believe was my time which came and down to like what barzan twice before I was got over it and I actually failed the warped wall once because I, I actually came into that race with a grade two calf strain and I was so paranoid about going up that warped wall because that incline is what like really mm -hmm. jacks up my calf while it's healing. So I just, I went into the first run, like really timid and I was like, Oh, this isn't going to work. Cause I mean, it's an 11 foot wall. It's, it's I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I right, last year, yeah. last year, boom. First time up this year. I first time up and I, I Oh, and I made it the second time. Like, yeah. how am I getting up the wall at Savage first time every time? But this one's a little lower, doesn't have the ropes. I'm like, am I that out of shape? It 
but no, no there was, it was just something different, man. I don't know. Cause I struggled like warped walls are kind of my thing. So I don't know what made that Tampa one so weird. <laughs> and shout out to you for being honest and doing the obstacle twice. Cause there was no one there to enforce that. Um, you're yeah, basically... that's like the one thing that I think, you know, Reagan's, I think they're a pretty big race series and I wish that they would have someone to really kind of be a stickler with that. Mm-hmm. If you read their website though, they do say that you have to give it an honest attempt. Yes. And it's kind of like, what does that really mean? Um, One, I don't know. Twice. That's the, that's the other interesting thing that Spartan does. We know they have their burpees, but every once in a while they'll have an obstacle that has a penalty lap. So instead yeah. of doing 30 burpees, you've got to go run an extra distance, which kills down on the time. Yeah. I, I, as we said, rugged maniac has that nice price which is very inviting to first timers. Now, obviously when you have the nice price, you lose out on certain features, but the one thing I wish they would do, which wouldn't cost much at all, at least for the elite wave, I understand you're not going to track everybody. You know, the, the logistics for putting the chips and the bibs aren't there. That's fine. I get that. But maybe for the elite wave, just get somebody with a big ass whiteboard and a magic marker, at least write the times up there for the, you know, the people who are in the the elite wave. Cause you know, I know that I did it in 32, 36 minutes, but I have, I was really hoping to know where I placed my age group. That was my whole thing. Yeah. I, I knew yeah. I wasn't going to win the elite wave, but I would really like to know how I, by the way, if you're listening, random dude from the Savage Race, I didn't, not Savage Race, I, Regan Maniac, I didn't need you looking at me and saying, hey, us old guys are killing it out here. I understand I'm 43, I got a white beard, but me and say us old guys are killing it out here i'm like son of a bitch i'm 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 the old guy out here now but yeah this guy a couple years older me he's like us old guys are crushing out here i'm like son of a bitch you didn't have to say that (laughs) well didn't like the first place guy though wasn't he in his 40s he was 42 yeah he had he did that thing sub 20 minutes i think yeah i that was insane like he was doing like five minute six minute miles yeah that's like ryan atkins speed yeah Maybe he was doing seven minute miles, but it was like 2.63 miles, however many obstacles, and he did it in sub 20 minutes. And he said yeah. he's 42. And I was like, holy shit. That, get, that gave me hope. Then I really, oh, that also reminds me why I didn't do it because I've been eating like an asshole and I've been working out. But that's the motivation I need. And, and that's, you know, I don't do it as much now, but I used to heavily post photos on Instagram of the gyms and the runs and all that. And I remember my brother sent me a private message one time. He's like, oh, you've become one of those assholes. I said, no, it has nothing to do with that. I said, we live in a society where people love to tear people down. And so by posting these photos of me doing the gym, losing my weight and my weight loss, and it did happen because I was at the, uh, when I worked in radio, I was standing in the old, uh, standing in the old break room, looking at the honey buns. One of the sale guys walked and said, yeah, go ahead. That's an extra 45 minutes at the gym because they want to tear They're waiting for you to fail. They see all these photos. Oh, look at me. I'm at the gym. They think, yeah, I can't wait to call you out on your nonsense. And so it helped keep me honest. It helped make me walk that walk because I knew that there's going to be people waiting to bust my balls for not living up to what I'm posting. So when I used to do that a lot, it would help motivate me not to give somebody the ability to say, yeah, what happened all the time at the gym? I see you're slamming on three large pizzas. So for me personally, it kind of helped me honest, stay honest. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Just like I had a T-shirt from uh, Grunt Squad that said, reps, not text. <laughs> now, I would wear that at the gym so that I didn't want to be the guy that someone got a photo 
wearing a shirt that says refs not text yet on my phone. So it would prevent me. I got to the point where I wouldn't even want to change my Pandora because I didn't want people to think I was texting. So I would wear the shirt, throw my phone and keys away. And it, it kept me from going to go look at my phone because I didn't want to be the, Oh, look at this guy with the shirt. Acting all cool. So I do, yeah. I would do dumb things like that just to keep me from, from slipping. But, uh, yeah. so how many races do you, are you doing a year now? Um, so, so COVID kind of messed things up because mm -hmm. 2020 was supposed to be like the, my big year, but that has now been pushed to this year. So this year is pretty busy. Um, you know, aside from like OCR. So I have including Tampa, three rugged maniac events, four savage events. Um, Spartan right now is on the table. I don't know yet. That really depends on my, my leg, but also I signed up for OCR world championships up in wow. Vermont. So that's in September. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. And then I have like occasional street races and like a half marathon here and there just to kind of keep up. Now I know you crushed it at the rugged maniac. Have you, what's the highest, have you podium or gotten, you know, what's the best you've done? Have you done an elite savage wave or are you still doing open waves on those? Yep. So I actually just did my first uh, pro wave at Savage mm -hmm. uh, in Maryland, and I took third in my age group, God which damn, nice. I was okay. I was obviously stoked because like sure. I didn't have any expectations for that. Absolutely. Um, so I have a friend of mine. Her, her and her husband own a physical therapy place since 2004. Now they've kind of gone off more towards. They still do physical therapy, but they focus on sports medicine, and they do the CrossFit. And she's. I think my age, maybe you're younger, but I remember a year ago or so she was getting second and third place at Spartan in her age group. So, I mean, she was just yeah. crushing it. Yeah. And like I said, my goal is hundred percent obstacle completion. And for me at this age, I would love just to finish top eight in my age group, you know, let right. alone top three. Um, interestingly enough, what you're saying about the pandemic that happened to me too. Cause prior to the pandemic, I, this is, it was the, um, did my Savage Race, 2019 Savage Races. What was pandemic, 2020 or 2020? Yeah. And so I'd signed up for the one in uh, early 2020, which that was when the pandemic hit. And they canceled it. And I was yeah. like, son of a... I, I, I was working out. I cut all this weight. I've been running. And it's like, I need to do something. And so I went on Facebook and there was a half marathon that weekend. And so I'm posting on, are you guys still have? Yep. We're still having it. Interestingly enough, the half marathon was put on the physicians group, physicians, medical group of Lee County. I'm thinking, well, if a bunch of doctors are sponsoring this half marathon and they say it's good to go. And that was actually the first and only half marathon I ever did. And because I had been doing so much training for that Savage race, I think I maintained like a 930, 945 pace through the entire half marathon. And yeah. even though it was in Florida, it was out on Marco Island. So we had like five bridges to run over. And yeah. so I did that half marathon and then Savage did the makeup race that winter. And then I, I think that winter, of course, there wasn't a lot of people there. I think that winter I was, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to go look, but my goal going in that was like coming right in the middle of my age group. And I was actually higher up in the middle. I actually finished quite well because of all the, the running I had been doing and, and going to the gym and working out on Morgan stuff. And so then as we all suffered through 2022 and then everything else, so hopefully I can get back in 
I'm working on it now just because, once again, my whole lifestyle change um, right. with going from owning a business. But the good thing is now that I don't own a business, I can take off time to go do other events. Because before, if I wasn't at work, I wasn't making money. So I can only – I'd never done an out-of-state event because – Dade city is only two and a half hour drive for me. So I would just drive up right. and do the savage races. But you know, my goal is to get a, I want to do at least one Spartan race and a few others. But, um, so what is your end goal for your, for the rest of this season? Um, so I think like, kind of like you just talking, um, savage and like completion rate stuff. And I, I know the, the rigs kind of only get harder in my mm -hmm. opinion. So I'd like to try to focus on that. Um, Mar coming into Maryland in two weeks, you know, I feel pretty good. I don't necessarily think I'm exactly where I want to be going into it. So I'm kind of making Pennsylvania savage, like my everything on the table race. Cause it gives me enough time coming off of injury and still working on cheese board stuff. Um, so I would like to really that to be like my main savage of the year. Um, and just kind of using these other races as uh, checkpoints, just kind of see where I'm at. Yeah, and I've I've said in the past um, for people wanting to get into whether it's full blown fitness or just changing their lifestyle a bit, having an event scheduled down the road, whether it's six months or four months or eight weeks, to me it is so important because now you're not working out when you go, whether, you know, whether you sign up for a Turkey trot or whatever, or whatever it may be, even if it's not physical fitness, whether, you know, Oh, I want to, I want to do this open mic night in November. Okay. Now when you're writing your comedy bit, you're not working, you're, you're in training. So for me, I always try to put something on the schedule so that I don't feel like I got to go home and work out. No, I got to go home and train. So I have something to train for. And so to me, it helps keep you motivated because you don't feel like you're doing this for nothing. You right. have some, you have a goal you're working towards. And for me personally, and I think a lot of people are the same way, having something on the calendar work towards, it makes it easier to stick to that training schedule to get it done. Because once again, I'm not just working out to work out. I'm training. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. And that kind of just goes back to the consistency thing. If you have, like at this point in my life, you know, I don't really care about the number on the scale anymore. Um, I'm a big advocate for just like preventative me medicine in this country. Cause I don't think that's promoted enough. No, um, that was think, a huge missed opportunity in COVID to yeah. have an honest, honest, true, honest dialogue about where we are when it comes to, um, our eating habits and just overall lack of fitness as a whole yep. in a society. I mean, just take any trip to any amusement park for one day and you'll have a true honest representation of where we are at in this society when it comes to that. Yeah. And it's, you know, unfortunately the sad truth and working in an ER, I kind of see the side effects of that, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so I, OCR for me, it kind of, I mean, it absolutely just brings me joy just from the community standpoint and, you know, whatever, but it really gives me something to keep my focus on and make decisions that are going to benefit me in the sport, but overall translate into life. Um, so, and I think if people kind of figure out what they're training for, it's going to help them keep way better motivated. Um, so for me and you know, you just kind of, for us, it's kind of running, but everybody has something that they want to train for, whether it's their kids, whether it's, you know, whatever. Everybody Getting that has college degree that they put off for 20 years because they had to take care of family, whatever it may be. There's somebody has something and like, yep. 
And like when I was explaining to my daughter when I was trying to get her to run, and she ran a 5K, and she's kind of gotten off of it. But when I would not really force her, but strongly encourage her to go run with me around the neighborhood, I'm like, and and it was so funny because she'd be screaming, I can't do this while doing it. And I'm like, Sariana, look around. We're the only two out here. You're screaming you can't do this while you're doing it. How many other 14-year-olds out here doing it? None. Okay, then why are you being so hard on yourself? You're, right. you're physically saying you can't do something while you're doing it. But more importantly, I would tell her, running is physical, but most of it's mental. Yeah. And it makes you mentally stronger. And so when you're out here uncomfortable, and this sucks, which I tell people all the time, I don't run because I like to run. Running sucks. I like yeah. the feeling I get after I'm done running. That's why I run. But I, I try to tell her, it'll build your mental toughness. And so when you're dealing with other things in your life, whether it's the boyfriend who broke up with you or your friends disappointing you, it makes all that stuff a little more easier to handle because now you're more mentally strong. Right. And you, you can, you realize that, Oh, I can handle things more. You know, you see a lot in the military when it comes to boot camp, especially like the special forces, their whole training is, you know, your, your mind and your mental fortitude last a lot longer will make your body last a lot longer than it would otherwise. And that you, every human is far more capable of achieving stuff. I think that's the, I think that's the other problem we face in overall society is people don't want to give themselves credit for what they have the ability to do. Yeah. It's like I'm not saying this because I think you're whatever. I'm saying this because you don't realize you have so much more potential, and we all do. So yeah. Uh, before we wrap it up. How can people find you? Get about all your plugs. <laughs> so my main thing, I guess, is Instagram. Uh, my handle's kind of obnoxious, but it's a heart and headbands. I was going to ask about the headband thing. Yeah. So I have a lot of headbands. I have like probably 120 headbands. Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of my thing. It keeps the hair out of my eyes. I don't like stuff. Like, I don't feel like I, don't, I hate when there's like any sort of distraction. So like when I run, I like run, wear minimal stuff. I, I don't like having a bunch of stuff on me. I don't like feel like constricted. So the headband just keeps everything back, keeps my eyes clear. Mm -hmm. so that way I don't have an excuse of like, Oh, the hair got on my eye and I fell off the monkey bars. So I don't know. It's just kind of my thing. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. Cause when I first started running, I was wearing regular, just t-shirt basketball shorts, especially here in Florida, you yeah. go out and run three miles. You're basically coming back with a shirt that's four times longer than it was when you started and weighs two pounds more because it's just a basically a, a wet sopping towel. And yep. your basketball shorts are chafing you. And now I'm out there with the smallest pair of Russell brand Walmart running shorts I can find, some compression socks, my Sanctionies, and my headbands that I got from Sleeves a while back, and a water bottle and my earbuds, and that's it. I don't, you know, because all that stuff, you know, it's restrictive. And when you're out there trying to, you know, get this done and comfortable as possible. And uh, one of the things I learned studying for OCR, and you probably do this, is they intentionally put the water obstacles before the monkey bar obstacles. I know. It's like they're evil or something. I learned from a female OCR that you simply wipe your hands on your hair. You have a towel use it <laughs> you just like yeah. and so if you can't find grass or a nice banner like you know sometimes spartan has these nice flags you can use but if a flag or a uh you know a patch of grass isn't available if your hair still dry just 
you're going to take a shower at the end of the event anyhow, so just wipe it in your hair and dry your hands off the best of your abilities. Yeah. It's always funny that you see the elite waves on Savage Spartan. They, they're going through water with their hands above their head. Like, they look dainty, but no, they're trying to keep their hands dry as possible so they can they can get across. Um, sure. Before we wrap it up, well, two questions. I've had this one the whole time. When people first meet you, and they hear, well, one, they hear the abbreviation OCR. I'm like, what the hell does that stand for? But when people find out what you do, what is their first? Because OCR is really, unless you know somebody like us who just talk about all the goddamn time, most people don't know what it is. Right. Oh, you do those mud races. Well, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally that. <laughs> I, had, I had a guy work with radio. I saw him. I, I quit working there four years ago. I saw him say, you still doing those mud races? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Mud races. Yeah. But, uh, what do they think of, especially? I, I mean, I'm sure you run into this a lot, especially at work in the emergency room. Granted, the people you work with all the time know, but I'm sure the you know the people come in find out the first time, like, huh? What's their overall impression? They find out what you're doing. Um, I think the general like consensus is like that. I, I think because it's such a unique sport that they think you it's just a man don't... thing. They probably think there's oh, isn't that a dude thing? Well, I don't, I don't think I get a lot of that, honestly, because it's funny you should say that because one of the girls I work with, her name's Diana, and she is like, like, all Spartan all day long. Like she literally podiums her age group every event she does. She's, she's a beast. Like she puts, nice. like, I, I tell her all the time when I grow up, I want to be like an eighth as good as her. But anyway, mm-hmm. so like people knew her, like, and they know me. So we're actually like the only people that do this. And it just happens to be two females at work, which is ironic. Sure. Um, so I don't think I get that kind of stigma per se. I think people actually end up telling me like, oh, that's really cool because they, yeah. you don't really hear it often. No. You know, it's not, it's not a common hobby for people to have. Just a quick reminder for people. If you go back and listen to episode I'm going through here and the reason I bring this up is it's, it's kind of goes down the road, what we're talking about, especially in your medical community. I got to see what episode she was on. Um, Carrie, my better half, episode seven, living with lupus. My better half has lupus and fibromyalgia, which, um, as you know, being a medical community, um, not only do you feel exhausted all the time from the uh, lupus, but you feel like somebody's breaking your bones with the fibromyalgia. And when she first got diagnosed, she was tired all the time, as you would expect, but she started going on all these Facebook groups with people living with lupus. And these Facebook groups would basically explain to you all the things you can't do and why it's perfectly acceptable not to do the things that you can no longer do. And it really set her down this path. And the reason I bring this up is you're talking about your friend at work who does this Spartan races. She's a fourth grade teacher. And one day she was walking through the parking lot and she saw a teacher who was like a third grade teacher who she knew had lupus got in her car that had Spartan stickers on the back. She's like, wait a minute, hold, hold up. I've been in these groups with all these people living with lupus, and they're talking about how every day you wake up with so many spoons in a bowl, and every movement you make, every activity you do, it uses a spoon, and the spoons do not replenish, so be careful about your physical movement. How are you doing Spartan races? And she basically said, I just, I just do it. I I." And so long story short, despite the fact that I've been running, doing 5Ks, doing 10Ks, me doing these things didn't motivate her because in her mind she can't do this. I have lupus. But wait a minute. Here's somebody else with lupus who's doing these sort of things. And so just seeing somebody that she can relate to has the same thing that she has, 
she started running. She completed not only her first 5K, she actually podium at an elite event. And so not only did she get her finisher medal, she got the glass mug you get when you podium in your age group. So like her very first 5K, she's podium, she's got a glass mug. Her second 5K, she was disappointed because she got sixth place instead of fourth place. She didn't get that second mug. But she it, it all, you know, it's kind of the reason I like doing this podcast is everybody's motivated by something different. No one is the same. And for her, you know, seeing me run doesn't relate because she has lupus and fibromyalgia, but once she discovered somebody else in the same routine could do it, 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 she went from real, she went from the mindset, oh, I can't do this because I have this to, I can do this despite the fact that I have this. And I think yeah. that's great. And, and I hope more people kind of, kind of see that stuff. And so we had her on for episode seven called living with lupus, where she's talking about, kind of that whole thing where she did her first 5k and all that stuff. And so real proud of her on that. And, you know, it just goes to show you, um, another gentleman I went to school with, I did an episode with, he ended up, um, losing. I'm looking at a picture. He's literally standing with both legs in one leg of his shorts that he used to wear before losing all his weight. And, um, and just goes to show you, everybody finds motivation their own way. And hopefully, yeah. um, we can find motivation. The last, fo- the last follow up, the last question I I always ask people: If someone were to come to you and say, Alyssa, how do I? Uh, what's your one tip for maybe me starting to go down the uh, better physical fitness role, or where can I get started? What's the one tip you give people when they ask you? Which it's a hard question because it's as you said before, it's not a one size fits all thing. Right. Yeah. So like I kind of what we talked about before you have to find something that you know is going to work for your particular lifestyle. Like I said, for me, it just happens to be working out from home because of my job. But the one thing that I tell people and this, um, this phrase stuck with me kind of ever since I heard it and it's very simple, but choose your hard meaning, you know, yes. Is it hard to go to the gym? Yes. Is it hard to eat healthy? Yes. Is it hard to you know, live this kind of better lifestyle? And the quick answer is yes, but ultimately when you do it long enough, it becomes second nature. But there's that hard versus the hard of feeling fatigued every day, gaining weight, not being happy with yourself, not being whatever it is that you don't like or leading to health problems or whatever it might be. So you know, the choose your hard and even just like remembering why you started, like there's a couple points in my training where I have to take that step back to remember why I'm even doing this Mm -hmm. because whether I'm frustrated or I'm injured or whatever it is. And you just have to kind of reflect back on like why you showed up in the first place and remember what motivated you to even kind of start. And never underestimate the necessity of a recovery exercise. Yes. I've really had to get that through my thick skull. I'm Mm -hmm. so bad with that. Like I race on Saturday and I like know tomorrow I'm going to be so tempted to do a workout, but I really should just stretch and foam roll. Yep. Maybe do a nice slow recovery ride on your, your fitness bike or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I always, and it's so true. I grown up, I was never on, I was never prescribed antidepressants, but I grown up, I was always depressed, angry and all that. And it's as cheesy as it sounds. I always think of that line from Legally Blonde where she said, said so-and-so didn't kill them. She, she works out and work, working out makes endorphins. Endorphins make people happy. And it's, it is true. And that's why people who work out are so annoying, annoying with the wanting you to work out because they realize, Hey, some of that stuff that you're dealing with, even if you're not medicated, you know, just the bad moods, the, the rough outlook on life, 
lot of that a lot of that is easily changed just by simple movement just getting out there yeah absolutely couldn't agree more and so we want to thank everybody for hanging out for another episode of the Fail to Fail podcast. As always, if you'd like to support the show and what we do here at Digital 410 Network, please head over to d-410.com or failtofail.com and click on the Patreon link. You can sign up. It's only a dollar a month. If you like us, if you kind of like us, you can sign up for the $3.50 a month plan. Or if you like Winnie Cooper on the Wonder Years and you like us, like us, you can sign up for the Long Arms Deep Pocket plan, which is $7.50 a month. And after month two, you can choose any t-shirt from our merch shop and we will send it to you for free. But don't worry, you can also support the show without any financial contribution from you by simply sharing us with a like-minded friend. Say, hey, here's a podcast. Check it out. You might like it. Or you can head over to YouTube.com and sign up and subscribe at Digital 410. You can see my Savage Races. You can see my Rugged Maniac Races. You can see my World War II content. And if you're a hillbilly and like fishing, you can see all my kayak bass fishing. It's all there as well. But I want to thank you, Alyssa, for hanging out with us. And good luck with everything you do. And uh, if you ever need to come on promote anything or uh, let us know about anything going on, please do so. And uh, let Aaron and crew know that I said hi and what's up and it was an absolute pleasure and I want to thank you for coming on yeah thank you and that's gonna wrap it up and we will talk to you all soon this has been a digital 410 production <laughs>